welcome to Wednesday night. It's gonna be a little bit more laid back. I don't say that to take away from the seriousness of the atmosphere when we're worshiping God together. But I think I'd rather walk and talk through the scriptures. Sundays are a sermon, if you will. I'm prepping all week, I'm praying over the message, it's systematic. I want Wednesdays to be a forum, a place, whether it's unplugged worship, testimonials coming forth from this platform, more times of prayer, corporately, we would make this Wednesday night service a place where we can have fellowship, right? So I'm committed. <laughs> Who knows what I'm gonna say next? I'm committed to getting us out in a timely fashion. And to prove my point, I didn't wear a watch tonight. And I know that makes absolutely no sense, but I'm committed. The Lord laid on my heart for Wednesdays when I have the honor of being in the pulpit to walk us through the book of Psalms. So Psalm 1 is where we will be tonight. It's six verses, and you can spend your life looking at the truth in Psalm 1. So if you would join me as I set my heart before the throne in prayer, and then we'll dive into the Word of God. Psalm 1, Bible's in the seat in front of you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, here we stand. Standing in your presence, humbled by the work that you've done, past, present, and the work that you will do in the future based on your goodness and your faithfulness. So teach us out of your word, instruct us, guide us, grant us what we need for today. Grant us wisdom to navigate the trials ahead. Give us the peace in the midst of chaos. Give us a shot of joy so that our joyfulness can point to Jesus. Take our troubles and bring triumph out of them. Make us more like your son. That is my prayer. Thank you for blessing us above and beyond what we deserve. Holy Spirit, have your way. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the book of Psalms, the Psalter, which is where you get that word, of songs. It's a compilation of 150 chapters that separately are called a psalm, a song. Some translations would include a book of praise. Most of the psalms, as you know, were written by David. On the mountaintop of, let's say, blessings, to the valley of turmoil and confusion, these are the cries of a man's soul, all of which bring him, get this, into the very sanctuary of God. Psalms were placed with melody and music. They were the ancient psalm or hymn book that the Jews would read, recite, and sing from. Moses wrote a psalm. The sons of Korah contributed to this compilation. Asaph also, perhaps a choir director, wrote 
some of the Psalms. But what we cover and what we discover in Psalm 1, get this, it's the preface to the entire book. If you understand Psalm 1, which is basically the way of the ungodly versus the way of the ungodly, you will see two things simultaneously. And this is personal. This is where you make it practical. Psalm 1 is a mirror for man to see his condition. That's you and I. Look into it. See your condition. And it's a map for man to see his destination, where he's going. Psalm 1, if you're being honest, brothers and sisters, when you look into Psalm 1 and you allow the God of the Psalm to look back into you, it's a mirror. Where are you at with the Lord? It's also a pathway where you are going. The two ways come to the surface very quick. And because it's God's word, and here's the awesome part, we get to see beneath the surface. It's what God's word does. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, before we talk about what is a progression, a buildup, let's first deal with the word blessed. Blessed or, you ready? Manifestly happy. Not happy as the world understands happiness, which is fleeting and based on feelings. This happiness or blessedness is a constant. We'd understand it if it said joyful is the man. Joy is stable. It's also an assurance. This man or this woman have a blessed assurance. Now, what is their blessed assurance based on? Well, that's what we're gonna look at. I love it because it first begins with a man being blessed for the things that he stays away from, the things that he's cautious about, the things that he's aware of that would be considered sinful influences, both, look at me, outside of himself and inside of himself. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, and of course, doesn't sit in the seat of of scorn. Notice something with me. He's walking, he's standing, and he's sitting, which means evil is not passive. Did you know that? Evil in the world does not stop itself. Evil in our nature needs a restrainer. It will not stop, it only can progress. So if we're being honest, if I wanna be blessed and stable, there are things I need to steer clear from. How quickly can we be walking in the counsel of the ungodly? Those that don't look to the book, don't, those that don't hear from God, those that don't care about what God thinks. And we spend time, and hear me, opening up our ears to influences that are not in alignment with God's word. That comes in so many forms. It can come in self-talk, internally, thoughts that you're having that are not godly. That's counsel. 
It can happen externally with the news and media outlets that we watch. It could happen as we're scrolling through our social medias. We're walking. And as quickly as we're scrolling, how easy is it to stop and look? I would associate that with standing. Now we're standing and we're looking at something online that we should not be looking at. I would call that the path of sinners, a path or place way that encourages sin. Walking, standing, and now you find yourself clicking and now you're sitting in it. And it's called the seat of mockery for a reason. Because the progression of sin in this person's life, they started out taking advisement that is not godly. They got comfortable around that environment and now they're standing with sinful people. Numb, if you will, to the things that are an offense to God. You know what I'm talking about? And now they're sitting and they're comfortable in the midst of that mess. How quickly for husbands and wives can a conversation happen? Just walking by somebody at work, the opposite sex. It takes only but a look. Now the next day, you're not just walking, now you're standing. Standing by the office. Before long, you've crossed that threshold. It first started by walking. Now you're standing. Now you're sitting in that person's presence. Are you seeing how quickly things can progress? Why? Because evil is not passive. I want to be blessed. I know you want to be blessed. So I need to be mindful of the influences that I'm allowing into my life. Some people that call themselves Christians spend more time watching MSNBC than spending time reading the B-I-B-L-E. That is walking in the counsel of the ungodly. So here's the point. Be cautious when listening to anyone who doesn't listen to God. I'm not saying that a non-believer can't give good advice. I'm saying a non-believer will be the first to tell you, take a drink. You're going through it. Here, relieve yourself. Take this drug. They'll be the first to tell you, you know what? You don't have to put up with that. Get a divorce. Because they're not listening to God. Proverbs 12, 5. Listen to this. The thoughts of the righteous are right. So if the thoughts of the righteous are right, then of course the counsel that they give is going to be right. That's why the Proverbs say in the multitude of counselors, there is there's wisdom and safety. Listen to the second part. But the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And the obvious point is they might not even realize they're being deceitful because they're deceived themselves. Be cautious when listening to anyone who does not listen to God first and foremost. Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the path of sinners. What is the path of sin? Well, I would say it's the people and places outside of us that make sin accessible. I can tell you I spent my entire young life, especially post-21, as a pro soccer player, standing in the path of sin, in places that made sin accessible. No conscience to be triggered to remind me that I'm sinning because it was numbed and desensitized. Not to mention what led me there, 
spending time in the council of ungodly people, right? Birds of a feather. Yes. Standing in the path of sin could also be a perversity inside of us. So people in places outside of us, also perversities inside of us that aren't checked by the Holy Spirit, not harnessed by heaven, not restrained by the word of God. And those perversities can lead us down some dark paths. Amen? We've all been there. That's why it's community that brings accountability and bringing you and what's inside of you to the light. And here, with transparency and integrity in the body, the spirit brings health. Blessed is the man or woman who's not taking counsel from those that are ungodly. They're not standing in the path of sinners. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, ready for it? Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Now, make the application. What is it right now that you're currently involved with? Is it a relationship? Is it a hobby? Is it something on your cell phone? And you're going on a path that the proverb says, don't walk in the way of evil. You're going to end up in a situation or condition because this is a mirror and a destination because this is a map that you're not going to be able to get out of. And it's going to come with consequences, which is why 1 Corinthians 15, I love this verse. You should know this one. Do not be deceived. About what? Evil company corrupts good habits. Listen, the worst form of deception is self-deception. If we're convincing ourselves that we can spend time with people that don't have the values we have and for it not to conform us and influence us, we are lying to ourselves. I can handle it. I'm strong in my conviction. Jesus Christ was the only one who could spend time with sinners and not be influenced by their sinfulness. In fact, they changed because of him, not the other way around. Blessed is the man or woman who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, doesn't stand in the path of sinners. They're not comfortable around sin. Hey, as an aside, I never wanted to get used to in prison hearing curse words and they are fired off all day long from 6 a.m. to midnight and all through the night. F-bombs and curse words, but, but the worst one of all, when they would take my Lord and Savior's name in vain and use it in a derogatory way. Every time I heard it, it was like a sting to my soul and I never wanted to get numb to it. I wasn't on my holy horse saying, I'm better than all my tear mates. No, but there was a conscience that was vibrant because of the word of God. And every time something was said that was an affront to the holiness of God, my conscience registered it. And I want to be that same way today with sin. I've said before, I can't even believe some of the movies and music that I used to allow into the gateway of my soul. If I hear lyrics from songs that I used to rock to, 
I can't even believe that I allowed that filth into my mind. Same, same thing with movies, right? That's why I gotta be extra cautious these days in recommending movies, right? Because I can recall a movie from my past, but that was the greatest movie. And then you watch it again, you're like, oh my goodness. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man or woman who, they're not gonna allow evil to be aggressive where they're finally in a position which is really apostasy, the seat of the mockery. What does that look like? Well, this is the way of the ungodly. So it starts off by opening up their lives to ungodly counsel, ideas, ideologies, thoughts. They eventually get comfortable in sin because you know what? They're living their truth. They finally sit down. They're in a position where they're now mocking the things of God. It didn't start out that way. They're now outright mocking the things of God. No fear. Did you know people can start off in church and end up in the seat of mockery? Actually, I would argue, based on the data, that the American church percentages the amount of people that are coming in through the doors on any given Sunday, based on the percentage of people that actually believe in the word of God, a biblical worldview, it's a small percentage. It's flirting between four to 6%. That means 90 plus percent of people who are coming in are not exposed to the true word of God. And they're basically sitting in the seat of mockery because they're not responding to the holiness of God. Is this making sense? I think about late night talk show hosts. They're literally sitting, conducting interviews, and making fun at Christian values. Making fun of God, right? And the whole audience eats it up, they laugh. They're sitting in the seat of the scornful. How about a school board? They're sitting, literally, governing over, let's see, the curriculum of the next generation, the youth. And when they co-sign or advocate for curriculum, that is sexually inappropriate and explicit. They are sitting in the seat of mockery and God will not be mocked. How about legislators and even law enforcement when they're administering laws that are actually lawlessness and they're actually criminalizing those that are upholding righteousness? Wait, sounds like Isaiah 520. The world we live in is the seat of mockery. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I guess what I'm asking, can you even recognize that what's happening in our world, there's a blatant rebellion against the things of God. I would even dare say a couple years ago, it was hard to discern. It was lurking beneath the surface. And it was as if the Lord just kind of pulled the rug out and exposed everything that was occurring in the dark. Now the creative order, basic, fundamental, simple truths are under attack. I would say the seed of mockery is anytime you see a protest in the streets, that's built upon woke lies. 
If you were to ask most of the millennials that are currently holding signs at protests, what are you chanting? Well, chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Okay, cool. Uh, what river? What, what sea? They can't even tell you because they've been ill-informed about what's happening. The word of God is the only medium that can help us understand what's happening. There's emotions at this level and it's easy to get caught on those bandwagons. Trust me, that is why my job is to point you heavenward, to get you to look at God's word because the world is sitting in the seat of the scornful. Now here's what happens when a culture like that exists. Right, evil wasn't celebrated decades ago. May have been accepted, you know what, I'm not gonna get involved, I'm gonna mind my own business. And then it progressed, right? Because it never stops itself. It then was tolerated, you know what? What harms it's gonna do? They're just living their life. It goes from acceptance to tolerance, it doesn't stop, and now it's celebrated. Can I warn you, Christian, what lies ahead? Because the word of God is our map. It shows us where it's all going. Every time I step into the pulpit, my goal is to fuel your faith. Whether you're navigating something in your world that you need hope for and peace to get through, or whether you're trying to figure out what's happening in the world, I wanna fuel your faith. Why? Because Romans 10, 17 be true. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This whole Psalm is built upon the premise that the blessed man and woman, and we're gonna get to it, they're rooted in the word of God. You see, where evil is celebrated, here's what's coming. Good will be persecuted. Are you ready for that? Wherever evil is celebrated, good as God defines it, it will be persecuted. That sounds hopeless, right? Now watch this. Awesome. Evil has a progression, and it goes from walking, standing, and sitting. Interestingly, the believer has a progression too. And each of us, we start in the posture of sitting, Sitting where? At the feet of Jesus. Sitting where? Underneath the administration of God's word. We aren't ready to stand or walk until we first sit. And when we sit, here's what happens. You ready for it? Verse two, the man and wo or woman who's willing to sit, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Look at this. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I love that. We first go, blessed is the man who doesn't walk with the ungodly, doesn't receive their counsel, doesn't stand in the path of sin, not comfortable around sinfulness or sinners. He's not sitting, he's not in the seat of mockery towards the things of God. And here's why, his delight. And let me tell you the truth, what you delight in, you will fight for. What you say you delight in should be backed by the evidence that you're willing to fight for it. So this man or this woman, 
He delights in the law of the Lord. Let me read from Psalm 19. I'm ahead of myself in the Psalms, but watch this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, the law of the Lord is the Torah. The word Torah is Hebrew. It means instruction or direction. When it's mentioning the law, it's not just the Torah, though. The law of the Lord is the scriptures. So from Genesis to Revelation, it's the law of the Lord. And Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. What does it do? Converts the soul. And that's what's needed. The testimony of the Lord is sure. That means absolute. Making wise the simple. Bringing wisdom to our foolishness. The statutes of the Lord are right, righteous. Rejoicing the heart. You want joy in your heart? The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Did you catch all those adjectives? Perfect, sure, right, pure. This man delights in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. The word meditate, it means literally to chew the cud. It means to muse. That's the opposite of to be amused, to muse, to think. The imagery, especially with the Hebraic, is a, is a cow. Cows have multiple stomachs. And when they would chew the cud, they would extract every nutrient in the grass or the cud, and they would swallow it. And one of the stomachs would actually regurgitate it back into their mouth, and they would chew more nutrients. And when you think about that, when the word of God gets in your mind and you meditate on it, you think about it. It says day and night because it's just simply saying all day, constant, continuous. The word of God, you're chewing the cud, you're swallowing it because there's coming a time in your day where you're going to likely have to regurgitate it up because you're going to need the word of God to overwhelm the word that you want to say. Meditate on the word. You gotta know this book. You gotta delight in this book. Why? Because what's in our mind determines what we become in time. That's what you see. What's in our mind determines what we become in time. Watch, ready? Walking could be considered what you're attentive to. Walking with people that are giving advisement. You're attentive to it. Now you're opening up your life to that and now you're standing. Standing could be your behavior. You're attentive to it. Now your attitude is affected by it. Now you're sitting. Now you're living a lifestyle out of action. Started with being attentive. It moved to attitude and attitude always affects activity. Let's do it with some Bs. What you believe determines how you behave. How you behave determines who you become. We choose the way of the godly or the way of the ungodly. And whatever we place in our mind determines who we become in time. Let me give it to you a little bit more in rhyme form. If your mind doesn't mind what is rude, lewd, and crude, that's probably the evidence that your mind is not renewed. Did you get that? Like, let me say that to myself. If my mind doesn't mind things that are rude, crude, lewd, then I got to be honest, that's probably the evidence that my mind is not renewed, right? Romans 12, 2. 
Do not be conformed. Don't let the world squeeze you into the path of sinners, force you to sit in the seat of the scornful. No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse three is like the psalmist saying, hey, I need a description for this man or this woman. And he gives it to us most vividly. Ready? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Think of it. That brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Notice it first starts with the root. It then moves to the fruit. Because you never can have fruit unless you first look at the, the root. This person is faithful. This person is a tree planted. The word is actually not just planted. That'd be good. It's transplanted, right? So it's not just allowing your life to stay in a certain place. The Lord translates us or transplants us from where we were in our mess, in our sin, and he thrusts us, or the Bible says translates us into the kingdom of his light. And then our roots go deep. And what sustains our roots? It says the rivers of water. Oh, this man or this woman, they are firm, they are fixed. Do you know somebody like that? And because they're firm and fixed and water is feeding them, they bring forth fruit in its season. Do you know people like that? They're fruitful. They're firm, they're fixed, they're fruitful. And oh yeah, by the way, regardless of the weather conditions around them, their leaf never withers. They're fervent, they're passionate. They're vibrant. Why? Because their roots are sustaining their growth and their health. And finally, he breaks from the analogy and says, and whatever they do, they prosper. Translation, they have God's favor. Listen, whether they're going through hell on earth, God's favor is on them. So favor isn't just like, I'm doing well. Favor is also in the midst of hell, my soul is well. Favor is not just about material prosperity. Favor here is about spiritual maturity. With all that being said, the most important part of the tree is the root system. I mean, I could have spent most of the message talking about the different types of root systems. The oak's impressive and vast root system that goes deep into the earth, and the roots of an oak are strengthened by the winds of a storm. So without the winds of the storm, the root system doesn't get stronger. How about the, the redwood? And their shallow root system, but they reach out and intertwine with other redwood roots. And I'm like, that's the body of Christ. Sometimes I don't go deep. I need to go out and allow you to strengthen me. Could talk about all types of root systems. But every single one of those in the botany world, their roots are what contribute to their health. Question, how do we know if we are rooted in the word and ruled by the Lord? How do we know that? How do I know if I'm actually rooted in the word? How can I be honest and answer the question, am I actually ruled by the Lord? Well, the same way that you would discover whether or not a tree in your yard has a strong root system, typically after the storm, right? You ever seen a tree? It looked massive and impressive and a storm came through and somehow it toppled over and like smaller trees around it maintained their dignity. And you're going, what the heck? It's because the root system, what it looked like on the outside was not what was occurring on the inside. And the only way to test 
a Christian's loyalty, look at me, is whether or not we're at the front lines of the battle. People go, why do you address some of the issues of our day? Because the fundamental truths of God's word are under attack. Failure to address fundamental truth, fundamental. I mean like one plus one equals two. And the moment a culture says one plus one equals three and the church doesn't address it, it actually shows where our loyalties lie. Translation, where the battle rages the most, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved the best. Watch verse four, transition. That's the godly. Now here's the ungodly. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. All right, what happened here? All right, so we go from this illustration about a tree planted by the river, fruitful in its season, leaf does not wither, prosperous, to the ungodly being like chaff, which was the external covering to a grain or a seed. And a lot of the times, the slightest wind, slight wind on the threshing floor, they would grab a bundle of the grain and they would throw it into the air and enough of a breeze would be able to separate the chaff from the usefulness of the grain and it would go with the wind. That's how God sees the ungodly. He's like, you might think they're prospering right now. They're nothing but chaff in the wind. And at the end of the day, if you're reading your map, there's a destination. The ungodly shall not stand in judgment. Translation, they will not be able to withstand judgment. They will have no excuse on judgment day. They will be found guilty as charged. There will be on that day, no mercy. Until that day, there is mercy. On that day, they will not stand in judgment. Sinners will not congregate with the righteous. What does that mean? It's talking about the end time scenario. Sinners who reject Jesus will be counted with other wicked sinners. They will not be counted with the righteous. Consistent with what Jesus said in Matthew 13. Okay, listen to me. Jesus gave a parable about the wheat and the tares. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between the two. Jesus said, let them grow. I'll sort it out in the end. Let me handle it. He also said in Matthew 25, there's a difference between sheep and goats. Listen, there's only two types of people in all of the world. That's it. Lost and found, wheat and tares, sheep or goats, that's it. God is sorting out the teams. The ungodly spend their entire, listen to this, their entire life running from God only to run into him in the end. There are only sheep and goats. Sheep know his voice and follow him at all costs. Goats ignore his voice and rebel against him, which will cost them all. Not just people, Matthew 25, verses 32 and 33, it says, all the nations will be gathered before him. This is Jesus. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Hey, do you know how many people misteach Matthew 25 and the parables therein? Did you know Matthew 25 
The entire premise is built upon how we treat the Jews. Did you know that? Did you know that's why he said, hey, when I was in prison and I was without clothes and I was hungry, you visited me, you fed me, you tended to me. And they said, what? When, when in the world did we do that? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren. He is certainly talking about those that will come to the nation of Israel's aid when they're experiencing hell on earth, like Holocaust 2.0 and what is called the tribulation versus those who will turn their back on him, which is turning their back on his people, those he seeks to save. That will be why he separates the sheep from the goats. That's why all nations will be held accountable. Did you get that? Every nation will stand to account. Now, there are people in nations, I'm off my notes here, people in nations, each of us are individually accountable based on how we handle the scriptures and what we do with Jesus. However, we're also recipients of consequences based on a nation's leaders. Is this making sense? And America is fallen, by the way. And if anything, there will be a delay, but it will only accelerate more evil and more persecution. You cannot put it back in the box. Nations will stand before God on how they conducted themselves. Sheep and goats. And ultimately, as the map leads us to a destination, verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Can you say hallelujah? That was so weak. Can you say amen? Yeah, that's a, that's a shorter word for you. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. This is not just his prevision, right? Prevision. It's not that he's just sovereign and knows where it's all headed. It's also his provision. He knows your way. He sees your way. He's with you as you go the way. He doesn't leave you stranded. He promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you, church. Psalm 1 is a mirror. It reveals our condition. Psalm 1 is a map. It shows our destination. Every Christian, every Bible-believing church should rejoice that he knows the way of the righteous. He's ordained it. He's ordered it. We are the recipients of it. Psalm 37, 23, and 24. You ready? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And when necessary, reordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way or her way. God does. Watch the next part of the verse. Though he fall, though the righteous man or woman fall, and fall we will, he shall not be utterly cast down. He's not gonna stay down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. What about the ungodly? But the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the godly leads to life. The way of the ungodly leads to death. Couple that with John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So when you really think about what we covered tonight, we walked and talked through six verses, and there's so much more that time does not allow. And I'm doing pretty good on time. 
I want you to think with me as we walk through those six verses. For you, godliness is not something that you can muster up, okay? So it's not about the works that you can do. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on self-will or what we say, willpower. If it was based on willpower, there'd be a lot more godliness in the world. It's based on God's will and God's power. And that must be submitted to each of us. And when we submit to God's will and God's power, I tell you, brothers and sisters, from what I know to be true, it will always be well with your soul. Even if your body's failing, even if your marriage is failing, even if your children are wayward, it will always be well with the godly. The godly will always be well. Why? Because our God knows, our God sees, our God provides. Now, conversely and sadly, the godly will always be well, which means the ungodly will always be ill. Always. Don't be fooled by what you see. The ungodly will always be ill-informed. Always ill-advised. What the ungodly has, they can't take with them. They've received it by ill-gotten gain. They will always be ill. Don't be jealous or compare what you have with somebody who's a professional sinner, what they have. What's waiting for you in heaven cannot compare to what this world calls treasure. The ungodly will always, no matter what is said of them, they will be in ill repute. Why? Can I tell you? You know what's rather to be chosen than great riches? Who knows their Bible? A good name. You know what a good name is? I know the best. It's Jesus. It's Christian. That's a good name. Choosing that good name is better and greater than riches. And ultimately, the ungodly will always be ill-fated. Now, that should fuel our faith. I want to encourage you to continue to plant seeds. There are people in your life right now that you think you can't reach. But that's not up to you. God just needs a ready tongue. He needs a blessed man, a blessed woman who understand they delight in the law of the Lord and in his law, they meditate day and night. They're like a tree, rooted, grounded, fixed, firm, planted by the rivers of water that don't run dry. And they're fruitful in the right season. And don't get discouraged when they're not seeing the fruit because sometimes, sometimes God allows that tree to be pruned. And it might seem like you're not producing fruit, but God's saying, just hold the line, stay in my word, and when the season comes, fruit will be produced. They're green. Their leaf never withers. They're constant. They're consistent, regardless of the heat. Adversity does not dictate their reaction. It's always redemptive. When they make a mistake, they own it. They come back. The Lord upholds them with his righteous hand. And whatever they do is prosperous. It's granted favor by God. 
There are two ways. It's the way of the godly. And I beg you, I'd implore you to choose the way of the godly. And then there's the way of the ungodly. Psalm 1 is a map and it's a mirror. And if the Lord would will, we'll pick up with Psalm 2 next Wednesday. So as we close out our time together, we want to create a space where you can have some fellowship. It's obviously not as late as the previous format of Thursday nights. I am committed to staying to my timestamp to honor you. We want to really make Wednesday nights something very unique and special. Continue to come, please. Continue to submit to the administration of God's word, whether it be Pastor Terrence, whether it be Nick Johnson, whether it be Pastor Gene, whether it be myself in this pulpit, we're all preaching from the same book. Come worship with us. Let us draw ever closer to our Savior. And I believe, as I said at the State of the Church meeting, I believe it. What's going to keep this body healthy? A people who continue to recognize God as holy. and a people who stay humble. That's it. There's your recipe to health. God's holiness and our humbleness. So since we're not dead, we're not done. We've heard it tonight by God's grace. Let's do it. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray your word was clear. I pray that it has reached into the innermost parts of our hearts and each of us would consider where we stand, where we walk, where we sit. Would we reverse the progression of evil? Would we sit first at your feet? Would you strengthen us to stand so our root system can go deep? And then would we walk and tell people about the gospel? Thank you for blessing us above what we deserve. We commit this night to you. Grant us rest. Until we meet again, in the name of Christ, I pray, amen.